Let's turn to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through the end of the chapter, which is verse 26. Acts chapter 3, verse 11 through 26. If you could, may we all stand and receive the word of God. Acts 3, beginning in verse 11, here's the word of God. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you deliver over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you deny the holy and righteous one and ask for a murder to be granted to you and you kill the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he does fulfill. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who have came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Amen. Father, this is your word. We turn to your word. And as we look into this word, Father, whatever blessing, whatever grace that we could receive, that you prepare for us as we humble ourselves and obediently, receptively receive that truth that we need, that grace that we need to receive. So, Father, do your work in your Holy Spirit. Be with your servant. Be with your people. May your truth be declared today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Now, folks, have you had an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ in the past? Yes? You had an opportunity to share the gospel. Yes? In the past? How did that go? I know, you're a little puzzled. Am I speaking up and really sharing that story? Were you able to seize the moment and be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ? Were you seize that opportunity? Or did you miss that opportunity, that chance, and some reason, somehow, you let that chance slip away? Maybe you did not have that courage. You could not muster your courage uh, and be able to share the message. Or you wanted to, but as you think through that time, in that moment, you really did not know exactly what to say in your gospel presentation. Unfortunately, you're not alone. We all had those missed opportunities, missed chances. We clearly understood that was a chance that we had and God presented that opportunity, brought this individual or people before us, but somehow we weren't able to capitalize. We all understand that we must, we must proclaim the gospel. Because we know that the proclaiming the gospel is obeying uh, the Father's executive order to His people. King's executive order to His people. Share the gospel, this good news. Preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Proclaiming the gospel is presenting to the world this exclusive offer of His Son that we must do, we're called to do. Proclaiming the gospel is offering the very Spirit, God's Spirit, the power of the Spirit to the people of this world. It's imperative for us to do this. And no one denies it here in this room. We need to proclaim the gospel. But how do we do it? How do we go about doing it when the moment comes? When He opens the door, He brings people. What do we do? Because we don't want to lose an opportunity. Instead, we want to seize that moment. When God opens the door, when God brings people to you who desperately need to hear the truth, what do you say? What should we do? Church, that's exactly what we can learn from the passage we read. In Peter's sermon, that is the gospel presentation. God has just used Peter and John to perform a miracle. It was a miracle. A man who was lame from birth was standing, walking, running, jumping, praising God. What happened then? All the people were astonished, it says. They were amazed. Oh, amazing! And they went their way? No. What did they do? It says, together they ran together towards who? Peter, John, and the man. And now is walking. What did Peter do? When God brought these people in front of him, what did Peter do? He seized that moment. 
when the people came in their utter amazement, like Pentecost, another miracle, another uh, just uh, miraculous signs being performed, people gathered to What does this mean? Insane. These people seeing the healing of a, a lame person and they gathered together around Peter and John and this, the, the walking men now. What does this mean? Peter sees that opportunity and he addressed the crowd. He delivered a spontaneous, impromptu sermon that God would use to save 2,000 souls. Now, what was the message here? And if we want to learn how we can seize the moment, how we can proclaim the gospel, he is giving us a blueprint for us to follow. If we want to proclaim the gospel effectively, when God gives us that opportunity, we must emphasize uh, the very things that Peter is emphasizing in his gospel presentation. There are three things I'm going to note for you to follow. First thing that we must have in our gospel presentation, we must exalt the Lord Jesus. We have to exalt him. And then secondly, we must confront sinners. Confront the sinners with two things, their guilt and the danger of judgment. And finally, we must offer God's saving grace to those who repent. There are three emphasis, three important things that we must have in our proclamation of the gospel. So let's take a look at this, this presentation Peter gave to the crowd. First thing that I want you to notice is this. When we share the gospel message, we must exalt the Lord Jesus. When you look at the totality of this entire sermon, you will notice this sermon is filled with Jesus. Just full of who Jesus is and what he has done. And that is the first thing that I want you to keep it in your mind. In your own gospel presentation, your presentation has to be all about Jesus Christ. The pronouns that you would use would be he, his, him, instead of I or my, mine. It'll, it'll be completely focused on Jesus. Notice how Peter begins his message. They gather in their amazement. They see this man walking, jumping, praising God. Yet, he begins his message by pointing to Jesus Christ. He's pointing to Jesus for the miracle that just took place. He's deflecting the glory, amazement of the people to the right person, to Jesus Christ. Not himself, nor to John. In verse 12, Peter said, what you see, it was not our own doing. It's not our own power. It's not by our own spirituality, our piety, our godliness. No, this was done by who? By Jesus Christ, precisely in the name of Jesus Christ. So how exactly did Peter exalt the Lord Jesus Christ? Peter exalted the Lord in his gospel presentation by proclaiming two things, who he is, and what he has done. So fancy term will be the person of Christ and the work of Christ. That's what he had as an exaltation 
exalting, glorifying the Lord Jesus. Now, as we shared last Sunday, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth was the phrase that Peter used to heal this man. And I tell you, as I shared last Sunday, that name alone is a message. Why? Because Jesus, who brought up and raised up, grew up in Nazareth as one of them, one of the human beings, is in fact the Christ, the appointed one, the Messiah. That in itself is the message. Now, the name has power to heal. The name has power to save and restore. And in the previous chapter, we see the name gives you that joy, the peace, and excitement in life. The name allows us to bring glory to God and commune with Him. In His name we pray, do we not? So in this sermon, Peter would use many different titles to show who Jesus is, the personhood of Jesus Christ. Verse 13, the first name that we see, Peter refers to Jesus as what? The servant of God. Jesus, who is he? He's the servant of God. The God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. Jesus is the servant of this God. Servant of our God of our forefathers. Now this very word servant here in Greek form is also the same word that was used in Isaiah 53 in the Greek version of Old Testament. It's called Septuagint. Now there is a Greek version of Old Testament for Greek readers. Now when you look at Isaiah 53, here is that portion that Isaiah prophesies about the coming servant. Coming servant. That word, identical word. Coming servant. And using that word, he describes, prophesies about the servant of God. He will be pierced for our transgression that the Lord, this God, the Father, would cause the iniquity of us all to fall on this coming servant. Who is Jesus? The servant of God. And as the Lord's servant, Jesus did not come to do his own will. He did not have his plan, own plan. Only thing he came to do, rather, is to submit entirely to his Father's will. Because who he was, he was the servant of God. And he obediently followed his Father's will even to the point of death, death on the cross. So once again, Peter refers to Jesus, introduced the personhood of Jesus Christ. Who is he? He's the servant of God. And he is here to accomplish his father's will. In verse 14, here's another title. Peter also refers to Jesus as the holy and righteous one. Who is he? He's the holy and righteous one. Peter proclaimed that Jesus was holy and righteous. Why? In order to emphasize that Jesus was sinless and perfect. Without any sin of his own. And it's important because he needed to be sinless. He needed to be perfect in order for him to offer himself as substitute for sinners. To all the sinners of this world. He had to be perfect. He had to be unblemished. 
so that when he offer himself, it will be perfect. It will be good for once and for all. Who is Jesus? Peter says, Jesus is the holy and righteous one. Peter also refers to Jesus in verse 15, the author of life. Is the author of life. What does that mean, author of life? It means that he is the life where the life begins. He's the originator. Similarly, Hebrew chapter 2, verse 10, where Jesus is called the author of salvation. Salvation begins with Jesus. Salvation cannot happen. It will not exist without Jesus because he is the author of salvation. He's the originator of the salvation. Hebrew later on, also in 12, verse 2, where Jesus is called the author and perfecter of faith. Same meaning. He starts it. He initiates it. He is the originator of our faith. And not only that, he perfects it. He completes our faith. He will bring our faith, our salvation to its completion. Who is he? He's the author of life. Finally, in verse 18 and 20, Peter refers to Jesus as God's Christ. I'll read that 18 and, 9, 18 and 20. It says, But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ, God's Christ, would suffer, he does fulfill, verse 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. And that is Jesus. Jesus was not self-appointed Christ. Right? And that's important. Jesus did not send himself. God appointed him. Now, why is that important? Because God appointed him as his anointed one. As God called Samuel. As God uh, uh, anointed Saul or, uh, or uh, uh, David. It was his choice. Jesus, this title of anointed one is the messianic term that is reserved for the Messiah, the Christ, anointed one. And as God's anointed one, he lived his life on earth to fulfill many messianic prophecies about him. In the Old Testament, filled with prophecy about Jesus Christ. And why did Jesus come as God's Christ to fulfill those prophecies? So that when the people see the fulfillment of the prophecy, they see it, they recognize it, and they know and believe who he is. He's God's Christ. He is anointed one, appointed one. He is God's Christ. You see, in his sermon, Peter portrays our Lord as God's servant. The holy and righteous one, the author of life, the Christ. He, take, he takes his time to describe who Jesus is in his gospel presentation. And these titles speak volumes of who Jesus is. Unique nature of his suffering. Also, his glory. It speaks volumes about his character. 
how obedient he was to the Father. And he speaks volume about his mission. All that is in his personhood, in the name. All the revelation that he himself embodied as he fulfilled those prophecies and the redemption, the salvation he came to accomplish. So he begins with the personhood of Christ. And there is another part that we need to have in our gospel presentation. And that is what Jesus did. The work of Christ. The first thing that Peter emphasized in his gospel presentation, what Jesus did, specifically two things. First, he died. He died on the cross. The precise term that Peter used was he was killed, right? Killed. Crucified. By his own people. Yet the truth is, he was not killed, he was not crucified, he was not murdered. He laid his life down. He didn't have to. He had all the power to resist and fight and not be killed, but he did not. He laid his life down willingly, obediently, according to the Father's will. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ is the central piece of any gospel presentation. When you speak, when you stand and you preach the gospel and you do not have the God, the cross of Jesus Christ, and I don't know what that is. That is not the gospel. That is not the gospel presentation. When you share your testimony, how God saved you, and that testimony is missing, the cross of Jesus Christ. I don't know what to whom you are glorifying, and I don't know how you're going to describe your sinfulness and how you came to be without the death of Jesus Christ, that sacrificial act of God. This is central. Paul also shared that sentiment about the cross of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians one eighteen, For some, for some people, the cross is foolishness. It's waste. It's just downright stupid. He came and he lived and died. Yet he says, but to those who are being saved, redeemed, receiving this eternal life in Jesus Christ, it is the power of God. What is? The cross of Jesus Christ is the power of God for all to see. And in your gospel presentation, in your salvation testimony, this cross of Jesus Christ cannot be missing. Without it, it is not gospel. Church, the cross of Jesus Christ is what saves us, is it not? Amen? The cross of Jesus Christ is what saves us. cross of Jesus Christ is how He heals us, saves us, brings forgiveness to us, restores us. The cross humbles our pride because without the cross of Jesus Christ, we can't save our own self. We can be our own saviors. He had to die. The cross must happen. Otherwise, we would be eternally lost. So, as the work of Christ, the first thing that he talks about is his death on the cross. And not only he died on the cross, the second thing that Peter would emphasize in the gospel presentation 
was his resurrection and ascension. He was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. And Peter says, for that we, I and the apostle disciples were witnesses. The truth is he proclaims in his gospel presentation, the death could not hold him. The death could not keep him. He was resurrected. He has defeated the power of death. And his resurrection is the very proof of his deity, who he claimed to be. He is God. And we talked about many times in previous chapters, the resurrection is so central in our salvation because it is the assurance of our forgiveness of our sin. We know for a fact because of resurrection, God has received the payment of our sin in Jesus Christ. And this resurrected Jesus Christ is now where, Peter says, ascended, sitting at the right hand of God, reigning, continuing his work through his body, the church. Now, in your presentation, when you speak the gospel, the good news, you need to talk about the cross of Jesus Christ, his death. You need to talk about his resurrection. You need to talk about his ascension. And by doing so, what do we do? We exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. We talk about who he is in your gospel presentation. And what he has done. That's what Peter did. Simply all over the presentation. The sermon he gave. Second thing we have to do. When we share the gospel message. You have to confront sinners. You have to confront them. With their guilt. And also about the coming judgment. Now here. In verse 13. Peter confronts them with very specific charges and he does it directly and emphatically. What does he say? He confronted them. You, man of Israel, you handed him over to be killed. The author of life, the anointed one, holy and righteous one, the God's Christ, you, man of Israel, handed him over to be killed. You disowned, you denied him before Pilate, though Pilate wanted to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one. And instead you asked for a murderer to be, in, uh, to be released instead of Jesus. And final charge, you killed the author of life. This is confrontation at its best, right? You have done it. I know you have done it. Your rulers have done it. And they may have done it in ignorance, but the sign was clear. Jesus himself declared who he was and he performed unmistakable things for you to notice that he is in fact the Christ. But you have done this. He charged them with enormous sin of killing their own Messiah. And yet, this was necessary foundation in your gospel presentation. And you will see, this has to be the foundation in the gospel, and it must be true in our own message. Yet, when you look at our gospel presentation, this is something that we choose not to a lot of times 
we choose not to be confrontational. We tiptoe around the matter of sin and guilt. And we only tell them how much God loves them. We encourage them to receive Jesus so that they can reach their full potential and receive so many blessings. When you approach sinners, people who are outside of Jesus Christ, and when you do not talk about this, the gravity of their sin and where it will lead them to, we're doing injustice to the gospel. If we don't talk about their sin and guilt, you know what that does? There is no desperate need of a Savior. When you don't talk about sin and guilt, what they will understand and view the Christ to be is another beneficial thing to add on into my life. He's not the only one who can save. And I need Him in my life. How do you arrive at that point without being faced, confronted with your own sinfulness that you cannot handle with your own hands? No matter how good you may be. You see, Jesus didn't die on the cross for some pretty good people. He didn't die for these pretty good people and he didn't die for these people to feel, you know, better about themselves. Help them to succeed in life. He did not die on the cross so that you can live your best life here on earth. He died for them because they are sinners. They're sinners who are under God's wrath. Under God's impending judgment. And without a savior, without him, they will face eternal consequence, eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. Peter pointed out, instead of Jesus, what have you done? You asked for a murderer to be free and you kill the author of life. Same can happen when you do not confront them with their sin and impending judgment, what they will choose. They're not choosing. They're not going to choose Jesus. There is no desperation. The life is pretty good. I'm a pretty good person. I do not desperately need Jesus in my life. That's what happens when this confrontation Telling them the truth about who they are without Jesus Christ. Now, Peter does not make that mistake. It is crucial also for us to not to make that mistake. We have to point out their utter depravity. Fancy term. Where their utter wickedness, utter sinfulness that they cannot do anything about their own rebellion against their king. If we don't point that out, if they do not understand it, there is no need for cross because they have no need for Savior. This is why Peter emphatically, directly charged these men of Jews. Finally, when we share the gospel message, this is, this is critical. The final ingredient. We must offer God's grace. You gotta offer God's grace. To those who repent. Repent. 
Verse 19, Peter said, therefore. Now, this is what Jesus is. Personhood of Jesus Christ. The work of Jesus Christ. Now, this is what you have done to him. Now, here is the grace. Here is grace. Therefore, Peter says, repent. What does that mean? Turn back, he says. Turn back that your sins may be blotted wild. Peter is saying, if you repent, if you turn from your old ways, if you turn from your wickedness and you turn to God, even the sin, egregious sin of murdering the Christ, God's one and only Son, what does he say? It will be blotted out of your record. It will be wiped out clean without a trace. It will be forgiven. Now, that word blotted out, wiped out clean, it's something that these uh, Jews understand if they come across these writings in the synagogue and if they themselves wrote things on the paper, they understand it very well. Why? Now, back in those days, the, the materials that they used to write, it's called uh, papyrus. It's a plant. And papyrus plant stem is what they use to create uh, uh, paper-like material. Now, here's something unique about it. Not the papyrus, but the ink that they use. Back in the days, the ink that they use is different from our ink. What's missing in that ink is acid. When you don't have acid, the ink sits. It doesn't seep in. It doesn't bite into the material. So it just sits on top of it, and what happens? It dries. So when you have to make correction, when you want to just erase, what do you do? You pick up a wet sponge, and you wipe it off. And it's gone completely without a trace. That term is very understandable. It resonates with them. You have killed the author of life. You have killed God's anointed one, Christ. You have killed the holy and righteous one, the servant of God. Yet, if you repent just like this, if you turn from your wickedness, you recognize your sinfulness, what you have done, whether it was out of ignorance or not, if you turn, repent, Peter says, God will forgive you. Look at the description of the manner of forgiveness. He will wipe it, blot it out, clean, without a trace. Look at the second promise of God's grace in verse 20. He also lists that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Another grace, not just you will be forgiven, but you will be refreshed. It's the perfect counterpart to forgiveness. It's not just going to simply wipe away in his grace. He's not going to just wipe away your uh, sins, but he will also give you refreshment, the rest you need, the, the relief that you need away from your sin, the consequence of your sin. And how is he going to refresh your soul? It says, from the presence of the Lord, by the indwelling of God's own spirit, 
He will refresh you. He will give you that rest you need. He will graciously give you that refreshment of your soul. God's grace. The third one in verse 20 and 21. Third blessing. That he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Now, during this time, Jesus Christ continuously gives us this forgiveness and refreshment, yet he himself right now must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore all things as he promised long ago. That's what Peter is saying. So the blessing that Peter is talking about here is the final, complete restoration. When that time comes, he's going to restore all things. What that does is that what time that is, it is the time of complete liberation from your pain and sorrow. No more pain, no more suffering. And it is the time when God will make a new heaven and earth, the kingdom here on earth. And it is the time when Jesus Christ returned to us and take us home. The eternal life. Already here on earth and eternally with him forever. That's another promise, blessing. Folks, we must recognize and understand the gracious gospel of God. When you understand Peter's message to the man of Jew, he offers God's gracious to them, and this God's grace is so gracious that he, these people who have crucified his own son can receive the forgiveness and refreshment and being part of the kingdom here on earth and forever in heaven is possible only if they repent. Even that egregious sin can be forgiven. He offers grace to every sinner who will repent. No matter how terrible your sins have been, that needs to be included in our gospel presentation. If you only repent, if you only turn from your old ways and where you are currently on, turn back to God. And if you do, it will be wiped out clean. You will receive that nourishment and refreshment from the Holy Spirit in His presence. And you will be in His kingdom now and forever. And you will be blessed. Folks, whenever you get an opportunity and you sense it, that God brought this person in front of you, God opened the door in front of you, and you realize you need to say how, who Jesus is and what he did and how he can save you because where you are and where you will end up if you continue on Without Jesus Christ. As you present that. You got to exalt the Lord Jesus. Who he is and what he has done. And you also need to confront them. As sinner who needs Jesus. And you have to talk about this impending judgment. 
the wrath that is upon everyone who is without Jesus Christ. And they must feel the weight, that full weight of their sin and guilt so that they truly understand and realize the need for a Savior. Because until they realize that they need Savior, their heart will be not fully engaged and given and invested to the Lord. If that makes sense. But please, do not fail to offer God's grace and forgiveness to everyone who will repent. You don't make that judgment call. Even a person who killed God's only son, if he or she repent, can be forgiven and received in the kingdom of God. You need to offer that to this person, to these people. I don't care where you have been, what you have done, and how you view yourself and the world thinks of you. I don't care whether you are death row inmate. I don't care in the society standard that you are just not worth saving. God doesn't see it that way. When you speak and proclaim the gospel, in this manner, with these important emphasis as Peter did, what happens? God used that powerful message to save 2,000 souls. That's wonderful. But even if you don't save 2,000 people, you may just may save one person to turn from his old ways and turn to God and receive this salvation. Guess what? Heaven rejoices nevertheless. Whether it's 2,000 or one, Heaven rejoices. And you will be filled with joy knowing that you were used by God. You were participating and being an integral part of this kingdom growth, turning, saving this person's soul from death. Amen? Should we proclaim the gospel? Yes, indeed. You don't have to go to parts of the world or spend money. There is a time that if you are willing and you open your eyes as the Spirit directs you, it could be a person living in your living room together with you. It could be a person that you hang out every day, every week. It could be a person that you work with. God, when God opens the door, don't Shy away. Seize the moment. Talk about Jesus. Don't talk about yourself. Talk about Jesus. Talk about the cross, His death, resurrection, ascension, and tell them the way without Christ and how rebellious and sinful they have been. They need Jesus and offer them God's grace. And when you do, rest is up to God. You have done your part. But these ingredients, these emphasized needs to be present in your gospel presentation. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for our time of study. And we are encouraged that through someone, as we prayed earlier for by people, 1889, you have sent someone to plant that seed of gospel in the 
legion. Yes, it was persecuted. Yes, it was bombarded. The, the growth and the maturity and bearing the fruit hasn't been there. Yet thanks be to the Lord, you have spoken to us. You sent someone in our lives, whether it was our pastors and friends and missionaries and however, wherever we met the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time in, in the unique manner that you have demonstrated your love and reveal your son to us. And it was so understandable, believable that we place our hope and trust in Jesus Christ. We recognize our depravity, how wicked and sinful and our own sin nailed them to the cross. And we recognize His offer to us. He paved the way for us. To have that privilege to call God our Father. To know Him intimately. To reach out to Him and receive His daily nourishment. And His guidance and wisdom and knowledge and empowerment. The strength. So on and so forth. All because of His grace. We have been forgiven. Our sins are white, clean, white as snow. And we have the Spirit, the presence of God in us, refreshes us, gives us that rest, the joy and excitement and, and peace we need. And we look forward to that daily communion. And we look forward to that one day to live in God's presence for all eternity. We're thankful that we have received that. As God called Abraham and his offspring to be the blessing to the rest of the world, you called Christians, people in Christ, to be the blessing to the world. To be that salt and light. May we not be content and satisfied in many ways what we have, what is going on in our lives. Lord, help us to think about the gospel. What we are charged to do. Proclaiming your son's death, resurrection, and life. And telling them the truth that they need to hear so that they will see for themselves who they truly are. And believe in your word that whoever profess Jesus is the Christ will be forgiven receive life forever. Give us eyes to see, words to speak. Let the Holy Spirit truly lead us and guide us as we passionately, with compassion and love and care for this individual or group of people. When we share, Lord, will you do the work as you have done in our sins. Father, we pray that you would bless our lives this upcoming week as we prayerfully spend our time in your word, in prayer, or help us to always realign our focus by who we are and what we must be and do in our lives in order to bring glory and honor to you. Bless your people, Lord. Guide them. Go before them. Go with them, Lord. We pray this in the mighty, holy name of Jesus. Amen.